Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Cosmic Queries Edition. And today we're going to be talking about time travel, inspired by Dickens' classic novel, A Christmas Carol. Chuck, love to have you on this. Always a pleasure to be here. Although yeah, I'm not actually, yeah. I'm not actually here. I'm coming to you from the future. You should just know oh. that. <laughs> Thanks for that heads up. Yeah. In case that matters. <laughs> uh, let me say it to you this way, Neil. It's your kids. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Doc Brown. <laughs> Realize when they they went into the year 2015. Just thought I'd remind you of that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get back to that. So I well, I know a little bit about time travel. I don't know nearly as much as our guest, which is why we brought him on a good yes. friend and colleague. From up the street at Columbia University, Brian Green. Brian, uh, dude. Our returning How you champion. Doing? Returning champion. Yes. <laughs> our returning champion, Brian Green, ladies and gentlemen. Brian. <sighs> He's professor of of physics and math. Is that right? Both of those? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Dang. Right. Isn't that Dang. wait? As a layperson, isn't that redundant? <laughs> it does sound redundant. Yeah, but I don't touch equipment. That's what it uh, emphasizes. I oh, yeah. It's like, get the hell out of the lab. You're one of those theorists. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Brian is a theoretical physicist and a longtime friend. And uh, it's just a delight with best-selling books. And let me get the title correct of his latest book because that that this title leaves nothing out. Here it is. Until the end of time, mind, matter, and our search for meaning in an evolving universe came out last year. Brian, that's a that title doesn't leave anything untouched. It seems you need to me. you need all the good search words so that you, know, you can come <laughs> up on anything anyone ever puts in. So yeah, that's that's great. And who's the publisher of that? We'll give them a SEO shout out. optimized. Uh-huh. Uh, Knopf. Knopf, very nice, very nice. And of course, many people know you or know of you through being co-founder. Uh, I think with your wife, is that correct? Of the World Science Festival? Yeah, with Tracy Day. Correct. Yeah, Tracy yeah. Day. I met Tracy Day before I knew you when she was a news reporter. Was it for NBC? Is that right? Uh, ABC. Yeah. ABC. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She did an interview with me. I don't think oh, I... Oh, I didn't know that. She yeah. never She never mentioned it. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> yeah, we go way back. Right before. <laughs> so let's put some context on the table. So... Uh, Charles Dickens, which is, you know, he wrote Oliver, he wrote A Tale of Two Cities, he wrote A Christmas, I mean, he wrote a bunch of stuff, and I think he wrote A Tale of Two Cities, is that, yeah, yeah. Sure, and, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It was the best you know, of And the worst yeah, of yeah. times. Right now, we're, we're in the second part of that right now. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're, yeah, we're... Uh... <laughs> so, uh, written long time ago, 1843. And by some of our, by some measures, it may be the first sort of modern literary example of time travel or the implications of time travel. And so that's well before, like a half a century before H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. So itself quite a, quite a remarkable step to take in storytelling. So, so Brian, you know, before we had 
Einstein's relativity. Uh, do you know, how did anybody think about time travel? I mean, what, yeah, it's what, a good what, question. What, what was it missing? What, 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 let me say that differently. Yeah. What, what do we in our enlightened modern times with the benefit of relativity get to say about time travel that they couldn't say before Einstein, before the, uh, you know, 1905 special relativity paper and the 1916 general relativity? Well, yeah. I, well, I mean, you know, I look at us as the unique species on the planet that's able to lift ourselves up above the timeline and think about the past and future. So that immediately gives us at least the imaginative capacity to travel to the past and the future. But of course, you're going beyond that. You want to know about real time travel. And what we can say today that they couldn't say back then is that time is much more individualistic than anybody would have ever thought. The common view of time was it's universal. It's the same for me, for you, for anyone else, regardless of what we're doing, what we're experiencing, how we're moving. And that Einstein shattered by showing that time elapses at different rates, depending on all those qualities, how you move, the gravity you experience. That's the main new feature. Awesome. Interesting. That is amazing. So now that you said that, because please, one of you, um, when, <laughs> either one of you, I, I'm, I'm filthy with physicists right now. I can just. <laughs> you just, you just, it's raining physicists. <laughs> raining physicists. I, I'm an embarrassment of physicists' riches. <laughs> so this is um, just, um, just wonderful every time I think about it. But um, if something is, let's say, let's go as close as geosynchronous orbit, like a satellite, and it's traveling at this speed, and they have to uh, adjust the clocks because time is ticking differently for that thing up there than it is for us down here. And can you please just speak to that? And can you speak to, is it a literal elapsed difference? Like running clock, running clock, or is it something that causes it to seem like an elapsed difference? Oh, good okay. one. Well, I shouldn't jump in. Maybe Neil wants to take this. Well, no. So why don't I? I'll, I'll just start with 1905, and you take pick us up at 1916. Okay. So what sure, we learn yeah. in, with 1905 special relativity is that the faster you go, all right, you will perceive events around you as well. Okay. <laughs> if you watch someone go fast you will perceive their click ticking clock to move more slowly than yourself. And we call the special theory of relativity because it, it only involved motion that did not accelerate. It was a very sort of a, a basic case of motion. And so once you got used to that, then, then 10 years later, he throws in a whole other uh, fact. And Brian, pick it up from there. Yeah, the new fact that Neil's referring to is that gravity also affects the passage of time. So Chuck, in the example that you gave, if you have a clock on planet Earth and a clock that's hovering above the Earth, some number of miles up there, those clocks will really tick off time at different rates because they're experiencing different forces of gravity. The stronger the pull of gravity, the slower the clock ticks. So the clock on Earth truly is ticking off time at a slower rate than the clock that's floating up there in space. Damn. Well, so what's interesting there is that the geosynchronous satellites, because Chuck, you started this by saying they have whatever is their orbital speed, which right. it has some significance, right? It's a few miles per second, really. Right. And up at sort of middle, uh, you know, Brian, every time I talk about, you know, there's LEO, low Earth orbit, and GEO, but middle Earth orbit, you know, MEO, every time I say middle Earth, people are thinking Lord yeah. of the Rings, you it's know? <laughs> Oh, don't worry, Mr. Frodo. We're <laughs> We've got this. We'll get, so, that, we'll so, get that traffic satellite fixed, sir. We'll do it. So, so Brian, uh, so did you, have you done the math yet, since you are a professor of freaking mathematics, on the geosynchronous satellites? There's, they're moving fast relative to us, so their time should, sh we should see their time slow down, but they're farther away from Earth's gravity so that we should see their time speed up. So there's some context yeah. between the two. There is, and I don't know the exact numbers in that particular case, but I do know that when they tested these ideas on a Pan Am jet 
in the 1970s where they had an atomic clock that they left on the tarmac and the other they strapped into the passenger seat, maybe his first class, I don't know, on the <laughs> jet. In that particular case, it is the speeding up of time from the gravitational difference that wins out. So whenever I teach this, I'm always careful with my language because you would think that clock should tick up time more slowly because it's in motion. But when you take the competition into effect, in the end, the net change is not what you would have anticipated. But none of that really matters. What really matters is when you take all the effects into account, motion and gravity that Einstein mm -hmm. delineated, the prediction agrees with the observation spot on. And so these effects are, are truly real. So I didn't know about that experiment. And and Brian, please tell everyone. Yeah, Hayful, what, Hayful and Keating were the two, uh, two okay, scientists. Tell everyone what Pan Am is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just oh, saying. That, I, was, that was the southwest of its day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So Pan Am actually was also the, the space shuttle in, in 2001, A Space Odyssey. It was a Pan Am space shuttle. Uh, yeah, yeah, going up to the space station where there was an AT&T phone and a Howard Johnson's um, hotel. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Super yeah. cool. That's very cool. Well, so so it, it turns out, uh, I, so I didn't know that about the Pan Am. That's excellent. That remains true even for the geosynchronous satellites. So the fact okay. that they're higher above Earth wins over the fact that they're moving fast. And so when the geosynchronous satellites hand us our times to our cell phones, um, they have to be pre-corrected knowing that Einstein's uh, ideas are correct, which is just freaking mind-blowing. That, you know, yeah, Einstein could say it in, in, his, on his, in his armchair, right? And it can happen in a physics paper, but to actually measure the stuff is a whole other it's, thing. It's, it's totally insane. It's totally nuts. And just one other thing, Chuck, for your question, even if you take gravity out of the story and you take right. two clocks and you send one into space and it turns around and it comes back and you literally compare the clocks side by side, they will show different amounts of elapsed time. Wow. So it, it, it's wow. real. The clock on Earth in that particular case will have ticked off more time than the clock that went on that round trip journey. So in yeah, a sense, the yeah. person carrying the clock on the round trip journey has traveled into the future. They're seeing the Earth at a later time than their own watch would suggest it should be. And one, one last point about uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, we He was observing different Christmases, but the big issue for any storyteller is whether you can interact either with yeah. the past or with the present that you then have access to. And so what does Einstein say about that? Well, he doesn't say a whole lot about travel to the past because everything that he was doing, if you actually follow it through, you can move in such a way or experience a gravitational field that allows you to go into the future. And if you're in the future... He said, sure, you interact with anything that you want to interact with. It's just that you are at a later time than your own clock would suggest. But when it comes to the past, I haven't read anything that he wrote, but it's a real conundrum that, you know, back to the future popularized, right? If you go to the past, can you change things in such a way that might prevent your own birth? And then you're in right. a logical paradox. How, how right. could that ever happen? And, and people have struggled with that. And we can talk about the solutions if it's relevant to the topic here. But yeah, in one of those solutions, you can interact, but you're constrained. You don't have the freedom that you would have thought you would have had to mess things up. Now, wait, is that constriction forced upon you? Like, for instance, if I were trying to get rid of my own self. So I'm going to commit, <laughs> I'm going to commit suicide via time travel, right? Oh, okay. Suicide via time travel. So those constrictions, yeah. since I'm coming from a place that is already set, okay, yeah. I go back at my origin, before my origin, I'm sorry, and then I, let's just say, you know, I cause my parents to hate each other, I'm doing the reverse of the movie, right? And they end yep. up hating each yeah, other. Because you can do this without, without bloodshed, right? right? Yeah, without bloodshed. You just bloodshed. have to get your, put your parents in an argument at a time they might have made love, right. and then you're not conceived in it's, that moment. Exactly. Or I just do something really nasty, but not, you know, like hit on my mom. And she's just like, you are adorable. And I'm like, yeah, don't ever talk to that guy. And um, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so, 
But so before this gets too far out of hand, yeah. uh, <laughs> I wasn't doing. I wasn't going any further, Brian. <laughs> Slow down, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. Slow down. Right. Slow down. Let me just ask this. So, are with then kind of like the box of time force those events to happen anyway in a different circumstance, even though I just screwed up the circumstance under which I came into being. No, I wouldn't frame it that way. Okay. okay. The answer that I would give on that is that if you travel back to an earlier moment in time before your own birth, then you were always at that moment. Oh. There aren't two versions. There aren't two versions of a given moment in time, right? A moment in time, a moment in time can't change because what would be the parameter through which that change would occur? It'd have to be time. But we're talking about individual moments. So if you go to the past, you were always part of that moment, and therefore, you were always part of the causal chain of events that resulted in your own birth. Ooh. So, so you okay, so are simply- Wait, wait, so Brian, wait, 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 Brian, in the time machine, he, uh, the character has a love interest, and, he, and then she crosses the street and is, is hit by a, by, a, you know, by a horse and buggy. Back then, I guess that was a deadly thing. And then she says, no, wait, I can fix that. He goes back in time and like prevents her from crossing the street, leaves her, and then she gets mugged and dies from a mugging. And then she, he, he prevents the mugging in a third time, and then she dies some other way. And he figures out that her death was something inherent in the timeline, and there's nothing he can do to change it. Yeah. Brian, what you're saying is what's inherent in that timeline is you. You're not, you're not an X factor. You are part of that equation all the time. That's correct. All events just are. They're unchangeable. They're immutable. So the events can't change, and you simply, if you go back to the past, are fulfilling the precise set of events that allowed you to exist and to go on that journey in the first place. Now, Look, I'm not saying this is the only resolution to these ideas, because Neil, the example that you gave brings to mind another proposal, which okay. is this idea okay. of a, which is this idea of a multiverse. Uh, oh, okay. Well, let's let, let's pause there. We're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna come back, and we're gonna find out what kinds of time travel are theoretically allowed. Mm. And I like the one where Chuck going back in time preordained the fact that he would be born, even if his intentions were otherwise uh, nefarious or even suicidal. We'll be right back. Cosmic Queries Time Travel Edition with Brian Green. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with their no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. 
Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash US slash Switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Hey, I'm Roy Hill Percival and I support Star Talk on Patreon. Bringing the universe down to earth, this is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back. Cosmic Queries Time Travel Edition, inspired by Charles Dickens' The Ghost of Christmas Past, Present, and Future. Brian ah. Green, we got the best person in the world to have this conversation with, Chuck, and you, yes. know, you know it. Absolutely. Uh, so, 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 Brian, in the case where Char Chuck's uh, going back in time was part of the equation that led to his birth in the first place, even if he only just realized that. Uh, let me give what an example that I've given before, but it seems to be consistent with that, okay? So I see, uh, so let's say we can use tachyons, which travel backwards in time, and I can send texts via tachyons. And I watch you walk down the corridor, and you slip on a banana peel. And I say to myself, Brian's my friend. I don't want him to, to bust his ass slipping on a banana peel. I'm going to text him. So I text you via tachyons. You get the message before you slipped on the, on the banana peel. And you look down to the message. And by looking down, you don't see the banana peel. And you slip on the banana peel. Yeah. So I ended up causing you to slip on the banana peel. Is that the same case that you just described with, with Chuck? Yeah, it's a self-consistent, immutable set of events. Mm. And and the text, inexplicably from your perception, is what actually causes the event that you wanted it to prevent. But indeed, okay. it's part of that causal fabric. And that, in this approach, is the immutable quality of the timeline. Wow. That's cool. So it's, Very it's, cool. It's reverse destiny. <laughs> well, it's it, it, it's it's timeless destiny. Well, oh, so all the well, events of reality well. just exist out there, and it perhaps is human perception that orders them into this causal set. But they're just all out there, just like all of space is out there. And this way of thinking about things, all of time may be out there too. And so there's nothing that can ever be changed. Wait, so in in mm. in Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five, uh, that time travel scenario is what you're describing, right? And because in it, his entire time he's picked up by aliens and he lives in a in a cage, all right, a, a, an alien zoo. But it doesn't matter to him because he still has access to his entire life's timeline. And when he's describing this, or they describe it to him, he said, "When will I die? You're always dying." When was I born? Yeah. You were always being born. When did I go yeah. to college? You are always going to college. And so the pre-existing timeline, he could just rejoin it at any point, but the, the destiny is already pre, pre-ordained. Uh, yeah, so and there's something comforting. There's something comforting about that, right? Because even those of us who've lost parents or loved ones, in some sense, they still exist at the moment of time that they occupied, and that is an eternal, unchanging statement. But Brian, it takes away free will. Ah! No. A little fatalistic. So, so, yes, this is a version of negating free will, but I am one of those people who doesn't believe in any variety of free will of the traditional sort. So this doesn't run afoul uh -oh. of my intuition at all. Okay, Brian, he's the, now. He's okay. a, See, I, I know we got queries, but wait, wait, Chuck, we got to get the ah. question. This is a this is a cosmic query. Go, these go, this is Brian, good. stop tempting us. Yeah, you, you, Brian, stop tempting us. Yeah, you keep, shut up, Brian. Let's let's act like we don't have an audience. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, <laughs> while we do that, this is Brian, stop being so damn interesting. I, I really and let is. us get to our cosmic oh, queries. Man, all right, okay, go. all right. Let me get to the queries. Chuck. I'll 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 put my stuff on the back burner. Here we go. Okay. Uh, hey, this is Jay Salmon who says, or Salmon. I mean, it's, it's, it's Salmon, but Salmon, maybe. Uh, he says, hello, Dr. Green. Because a photon of light has no mass, theoretically, can't it travel both forward and backward in time? Well, I love that. Mm, speaking of gravity and it's... No, wait a minute. If it, so it moves the speed of light. Right. And if time goes slower for you, the faster you go, then photons have no time at all. Yeah, right. I think so if they have no time, why don't who cares whether they move it doesn't forwards make a or backwards? Right. There is no why forward and backwards. 
for it both times. Right. So I think there's two there's two ways of answering this question. I think both are really important. One is from our perception watching the photon. And from our perception, you fire a photon and it travels through space as time elapses. It goes forward in time. But then you say, what about from the photon's perspective? It's traveling at the speed of light. And from what Neil described earlier, when the photon looks out at the world, everything should be going infinitely slowly. And therefore, in some Basically sense, stopped. Basically time stopped. is stopping. Now, th- 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 that's poetically fine. The problem I have with taking that too seriously is, and this may seem like a footnote, but it's not, you're ascribing some kind of experience to a photon. And a photon doesn't have experience. It doesn't have consciousness. It doesn't look out at the world, even though the poetic language is useful to invoke. And so to imagine that we could travel at the speed of light and therefore there'd be no time and time would stop is a step too far. So when we look at the photon, it's like any other particle. It travels through space. It goes forward in time. If you put yourself into the shoes of the photon, whatever that means, then poetically, yes, time would stop. There's no notion of the elapsing of time. There's no notion of aging from the photon's perspective, whatever that actually means. Okay. You, you heard that. Brian cast shade on the photon. He said it, it has no emotions, no Basically, feelings. Basically, uh, Brian thinks photons no. are stupid. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's Brian. All right, well, then. Brian. All right, Brian. We know where you're coming from. All right. Okay. Right, keep going, Chuck. Here we go. This is um. I like this. Let's a little more philosophical. This is Tyler J. Tyler says, "How might time travel be policed or regulated if it were able to happen?" Ooh. Yeah, because, I mean, think about it. If we could all— So to, if, if you have bad actors going through, right. right. Yeah. Well, again, you know, I'm, I'm less fearful of time travel because of the view that I hold that you couldn't actually change anything. If you could, then, yeah, we'd have to have the time police around here to avoid things happening that we didn't want to have happen. Brian, is that the same thing as Hawking's time travel conjecture? Um, well, uh, he's got a few conjectures, so it depends. <laughs> you think? Okay. <laughs> it, depends, it depends exactly which one. But, but I think Hawking yeah, the, the said chrono- that Chronology protection. Chronology protection, that, that you can't travel yeah. to the past because it keeps history safe for historians, right? Because, you know, if you could travel, you could change things. And it's also his explanation for why we're not overrun with tourists from the future. If you could travel to the past, right. wouldn't everybody, you know, from the future come and visit us and be gawking at, you know, what life was like in the 21st century? Um, but, you know, again, they could be here looking at us right now. Or another explanation, which is more plausible, is in almost any time travel scenario that has been dreamt up, you can never travel to a moment in time prior to the construction of the first time machine. And so... If the first time machine has yet to be constructed, that would also explain why no one's come back here because they can't come back here because the machine's yet to be built. Um, So that's another very straightforward way of explaining why we're not overrun with tourists from the future. I like that one. Wow. That's pretty wild. Uh, Chuck, keep going. What do you have? All right. Let's have some fun with this one. This is Kevin the Sommelier, who's... uh, Oh, we uh, love Kevin the Sommelier. Yeah, we love Kevin the Sommelier. Never sends us wine. Well, no, never sends Chuck wine. Neil doesn't need any wine. <laughs> I, I've been to Neil's cellar. He don't need no wine. Chuck needs wine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Kevin the Sommelier says, uh, Dr. Green, what Hollywood film depicts time travel best in your estimation? Um, and then he says, is it frequency? <laughs> well, yeah, I had a brief moment in frequency. I tried to convince the filmmakers on how the end should be done, but it could have been wait, more. Wait, wait, frequency is a film? I had never seen it or heard of it. Yeah, frequency is a, a film. film? It's a, there's a time travel element where a father and a son are able to communicate across 30 years, and the father's long <gasps> oh, since yeah. been dead. He's a firefighter. He died in a fire. So the, the son tries to tell the father, go left, not right in that burning building when it happens tomorrow. Oh. And he actually, he actually saves him. So, so they do change the future in that particular case. Um, so, yeah, there's a multiverse way of thinking about it. Wait, they called you for advice on that? They called me for advice, and then they asked me if I would be in it, and I'm, like, interviewed <laughs> by Dick Cabot. 
Dick Cavett in two different time frames, and they aged me to make me look old in, in one. And it was the scariest thing, really. I thought it would be so simple, but I don't know if you've ever done this, and they put the plaster on your face to mold so they can get jowls and things on you. Um, feels like being buried alive. But uh, excuse me, Brian. Black don't crack, so that wouldn't be necessary. That's, that's true. I'm I'm 87. I'm 87 years old, Brian. Yeah. Wait, wait. So, Brian, were you in the movie? Brian, yeah, were you in yeah. the movie? I missed yeah, it. Okay, like I got a scene go. where I'm in in a television set being interviewed in the past, and another television set in the future to like set up this time warpy thing. Oh, cool. Um, Damn. And that's but and Chuck. That's not his first movie. He was in in the Mimsy movie. What's the name of that movie? Uh, the last Mimsy, yeah. Oh, the last Mimsy. The man, he was in the last Mimsy. Nice. My boy was in the last Mimsy. Interviewed as Brian Green. Oh, at, at, they, we need expertise on this one. And, and, <laughs> and, and yeah, you were you were great in it. You were like total natural. I loved it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, okay, so so what's the best movie? What's the best? Yeah, movie? I would say that uh, Interstellar is is probably the best one where you have yes. Matthew McConaughey going near a black hole. Time slows down. So when he goes back to the ship, the fellow left on the ship is 23 years older, even though McConaughey is only like an hour older. And then Matthew McConaughey, I can't remember his name, his character in the movie. Just to be clear, 23 years older. Older. Not 23 years old. So the guy's gray. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of a very crazy scene, but it's accurate. You know, you go down to near a black hole and you come back and your crew members have aged decades and you've aged an hour. Um, but then in a, in a very poignant moment, he, the character sees his own daughter much older than he is. And right. She's sick in her bed, as you may recall, and he kind of comes into that room. So, so those are accurate features of, of Einstein's general theory of relativity. So it's, it's and it's a, not just because you're buds with Kip Thorne, who was co-executive producer on that movie, who was professor no, no, of no, no, physics no. at Caltech. It's not just because you're friends yeah, I with mean, him. That, that's, not, not because I'm friends, but no doubt it was his expertise that kept the film on track, on scientific track, which mm -hmm. is kind of a beautiful. It's a great movie. movie. And Chuck, did you, Chuck, did you see Interstellar? Oh God, yes, I love it. It's one of my favorite yeah. sci-fi movies. Is that? Did, did you see? Did you do you see the name of the robot? Um, it's the big square robot. I forget his name. Yeah, though. the big, the big the, rectangular yeah, the big robot. Re which, it had by a name. the way, was the best uh, I think depiction of a robot in a movie. It's just a block. <laughs> Like everybody wants robots. Everybody's like, I am a robot. No, it's just a block. <laughs> They're like, here's a square that, that 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 has appendages when it wants, and you know, I forget its name though. Do, do you remember the name of the robot? I do, I no. do not. Brian, do you remember the name of the robot? I, I'm embarrassed to say I can't even remember the robot. So I'm okay. <laughs> okay. The, the, the robot's name was Kip. Kip. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Just thought I'd tell you, Kip Very Thorne. Nice. By the way, Kip Thorne, of course, helped pioneer LIGO, Laser Interferometry <laughs> Gravitational Wave Observatory, okay. what received the Nobel Prize, uh, was the co-recipient of it a few years ago, and he, and he did the movie. So we got some good people out there. Nice. Trying to, trying to raise science literacy of the world a few notches. So, yep. all right, there it goes. So good calculations there on the time. So that's just, that's just straightforward gravitational Einsteinian physics. Yeah, um, that's all that is. Yeah. That's very okay. cool. All so, right, no, okay, so with respect, very quickly, okay, do we have any... Wait, Chuck, are you a Patreon member? It sounds like you're asking your own question. I, I paid this month. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you a liar? That's the that's how the that's what liars sound that like. Exactly what liars sound like, and that is why I'm a terrible liar because that's exactly what I sound like. I, I paid. I, I paid this month. I I think I paid. <laughs> All right. So wait, real very quickly. Uh, do we have any information on the aging of cells? Um at the speed of light or in uh, in gravitational situations that, that we might be able to attribute to time travel? Yeah, well, everything that we're talking about in terms of time slowing down or speeding up, it's truly time. So any physical process, whether it's the motion of atoms or the motion of particles in a cell or motion of aspects of proteins carrying out instructions given to them by DNA, it all happens at a rate dictated by how time elapses. So when we talk so about time clear, slowing, Brian, it's, it's not as though it's everything slowing. 
So, Brian, just to be clear, because it's there's a point of ambiguity here, unless we say it explicitly, it's not that being in stronger gravity has some effect on your physiology that makes you age more slowly. Right. It's an actual change in the ticking clock that's on your wall. That, yeah. that it's everything around you and has nothing to do with the effect of gravity the strength of the gravity on your metabolism or anything. It has okay. to do with the space-time, the fabric of the space-time that you're embedded in. Is that a fair way to say it's it? It's totally fair, and so much so that even your thoughts would slow down in a strong gravitational field, and that's why you wouldn't even notice in your local environment that anything had changed. Everything slows down, even your thoughts, so there's no obvious evidence of it. It's only when you compare time elapsing for you with time elapsing for somebody far away in a different circumstance that you recognize, aha, wow. things have elapsed. Now, of course, strong gravity might still kill your ass, but that has yes. nothing to do with the time that's ticking. That's right. 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 That's right. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. All right, Chuck, keep going. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Uh, this is Logan Kent. And Logan says, hello, beloved science professors and happy holidays from Kansas cities. Uh, I'm already giddy waiting for the episode where we get to hear about the knowledge and theories on the topic of time travel. Okay, well, we're in it. Okay. Nice. And he says, and, uh, and he's hailing from both Kansas cities, Casey Moe and Casey, uh, Kansas, I guess. Yeah, okay. The, he, that's the plural there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Very good. Okay. Okay. He says, uh, if controlled backwards time travel was possible today, where do you think your matter or information would travel? And no, I'm not talking about what time do you want to travel, but rather if you were in a third position, third person position observing someone travel back in time, what do you think it would look like? So the time travel itself, if you were the observer, what would you see if you were able to observe the timeline itself? So I like that, but also just slipped in there, Brian, was some mention about information. Yes. And and that links to entropy, I presume. So if you can tackle both of those in the next 90 seconds before yeah, we go so, to so, <laughs> so look, I think the only, the only real way to answer that question is to commit to a version of time travel to the past. Right. And the version that I find most convincing involves wormholes. And the idea of a wormhole, I think many people know this idea. It's a tunnel from one location in space to another location and pays a kind of shortcut. And if you move those openings relative to each other, you put one near a black hole, again, there'll be a time difference between the two openings. So now one opening is ahead, one opening is behind. So you go through the tunnel one direction, you go to the future, you go through the tunnel the other direction, you go to the past. So what would going to the past look like? Somebody would enter the opening of a wormhole and they would disappear and they'd pop out the other opening of the wormhole at a different place at a different time. Wait, so in the Marvel in the Marvel yep. universe where you have Doctor Strange opening these portals, he's only moving through space. He's not actually moving through time. So that's a that's a lost storytelling element there that they could totally do interesting things with. It seems to me. Yeah, I mean the richness of wormholes really arises when you have a time difference between the two openings. I mean it's fun to have a tunnel through space, but it is mind blowing to have a tunnel through time. And also, I would add that uh, I think I can add correctly, Brian, that as portrayed in the movie uh, Contact, where Jodie Foster goes through this, we presume is a wormhole, to get to to visit the aliens and then she returns, uh, we like the idea that it's it's like a water slide. You know, you're in this tunnel, you're in this tube and you're, you're sliding in there, but it's really just a simple hole. You step through it, right? It's not some journey. Isn't that correct? Because they're instant. Yeah. They're, they're basically in the same place. Uh, they can be, but you can also have situations where the throat of the wormhole has some length to it, and then again, it would just be traveling through space. It wouldn't be some kind of like you say water slide or some kind of weird thing that was happening. But uh, but you're right. Oh, okay, so all right. So if you're going to do this, at least and report on it, you if you're in a wormhole and it's propped up nicely and it's safe for you, then you, you're you just moving through space backwards in time if the opening of that wormhole is near a black hole where time is ticking more slowly than where you came from. 
or if it was there for a while. Once you set the time difference between the two openings, you can then move away from the black hole. Right. Because the time difference will then persist. Wow. Jesus. Mm-hmm. That is... <laughs> That is insane. So, Chuck, in this one broadcast, you've mentioned God and Jesus together. Yeah, this is this is must be a very significant force operating on your brain. A- right instead, now. I should have said Father Time. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> now, why don't you give us one more question before we hit the break? All righty, here we go. This is Jim Kelly, and Jim Kelly says, "Hi, Dr. Tyson, Dr. Green, Dr. Comedy. Why do physicists assume that all time travelers are murderous, patricidal maniacs?" Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but how does a hypothetical paradox preclude the existence of time travel? Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a quick break because I want a good answer from Brian out of that. So, Brian, we're going to discuss the paradoxes and how they're right. uh, circumvented when we come back on Star Talk Cosmic Queries Time Travel Edition, fully inspired by Charles Dickens, who kind of went there first before other novelists thinking about the Christmas past, present, and future. Ah, humbug. (laughs) You know what shouldn't feel like rocket science? Planning a vacation your whole crew will love. With Carnival Cruise Line, it's all up to you. You can kick back or dive right into the fun. Paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship from a ride on the Bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud Nine Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick of restaurants from surf and turf to family-style Italian. Then settle in for an evening of live entertainment. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags, be sure to leave room for a few unforgettable memories because no one does fun like Carnival Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, The Bahamas, and Panama. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential, and through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We're back, Cosmic Queries, Time Travel Edition, with none other than Brian Green, whose most recent book is, I gotta like read this title because it's so inclusive, Until the End of Time, Mind, Matter, and Our Search for Meaning in an Evolving Universe. And you just confessed that you put every Google search a keyword in there so that no matter what anyone is searching for in the universe, they land on your book. That's brilliant. <laughs> published by Knopf in 2021. And Chuck, uh, uh, how do we find you on social media? Chuck Nice Comic everywhere, people. Nice. 
Leave off the everywhere, just Chuck Nice uh, Comic. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay. Chuck Nice Comic. And you Brian, can find me everywhere. Brian, tell us about your social media footprint. It's really only on Twitter, and it's uh -huh. at B Green. At B Green. B, B Green. Okay. Nice. We can yeah. do that. Without a check mark, without a blue check mark. Uh, oh, oh, right there you go. Oh, that's never had ooh. one, and now I never will. I, <laughs> <laughs> I heard that after Elon took over the, and the check mark thing, that Jesus got a, a blue check for paying the eight dollars. That was that was a good one. So, Chuck, we left off with a question. Just give us the highlights of it. What hey, was you know, it? Jim Kelly, who basically says this: How does a hypothetical paradox preclude the existence of time travel? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it does. So the hypothetical paradoxes are you change the past in a way that, say, prevents your own existence. And we already discussed how it may be you can't do that. But the other idea that we made brief mention of is if instead of traveling to the past in your own universe, the laws of physics demand that you go to the past in a parallel universe. Well, if you prevent your own birth in that universe, there's no paradox. Where were you born? In a different universe. And so that's another way in which you can have the freedom to make changes to the past, but not the past of your own world. And that's what the Marvel Universe persistently does. That's how Spider-Man can have multiple origin stories, for example. Yeah. We're, we're right. actually accessing a different universe where similar things are happening, but not, uh, yeah, not yeah, so yeah. different that we don't recognize the story. That's crazy. So, Brian, t t what about information? Because information, I don't think it has mass, does it? Does it travel? Information is this intangible thing. And I always hear physicists arguing about whether we lose or gain information every time you do something with a black hole. Yeah, I mean, I like to think of information as more concrete than that description might suggest because information is always carried by particles. You can have an abstract measure of information, but if you want to look at the motion of information, it's got to be the motion of stuff that carries that information. And to me, that makes it much more clear what's going on. So with black holes, the whole question was, as radiation comes out of a black hole, which Hawking, Stephen Hawking, told us will happen, are the particles... Instead of Louis Hawking, you mean Stephen Hawking? <laughs> that's right. That's right. They always get those confused. Different that universes. Think of specifying, Brian, which Hawking you're referring to. There was a universe where Louis Hawking actually was responsible, but let's put that to the side. Um, question is, do the particles have a relationship among each other that carries away right. the information of what fell in? So it's really concrete when you think about it as information carried by stuff. Okay, because, right, because otherwise there's no information without stuff to carry it. Right. That's another way it's to hard, say it. It's hard universe. to okay. follow the information without that commitment. So, so, so when it comes to, like, uh, for those of us who are listening that may not be so um, familiar with what you're talking about. So you're, when you go into a black hole, I'm a chair, I go into a black hole. I get broken down into just particles, okay? That's all, because the gravity's so strong. Now I'm just a string of particles. I come out during the evaporation. Would I be able to be a chair again? Um, yeah. Okay? That, that is the question. That's that is the, the deep question. Right. And for a while, Hawking said no, that your particles would come out and they'd have no memory of their earlier configuration. The information that they carried would be lost. But he was ultimately convinced by string theorists and others that that was wrong. The particles will come out and they do carry the imprint of the fact that they were once a chair. And if you measure the particles appropriately, you could reconstruct the chair when those particles come out. Uh, but the chair itself Damn. doesn't come out. You have you have to still make the chair. That's That, that sounds like a cop-out, actually. It's now an Ikea chair. <laughs> <laughs> Ikea is in black holes. <laughs> Chuck, I love that new theory. All right, Brian, I want a new research paper on that. <laughs> uh, I want on my desk in the morning, Brian, oh, the Ikea true. hypothesis. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. All right, Chuck, keep them coming. Keep okay, them coming. Let's, let's keep it going. Um, this is from Y. Koss. And Y says, hello, Brian. Hello, Neil. And then he puts in parentheses with a question mark. Chuck? 
Okay. <laughs> that ain't right. Oh, that no, we've been Lord Chuck. We've been I, I know. King Chuck. Yeah. I, all right. I, I, all right. Uh, okay. He says, is it possible to calculate precisely where the universe, uh, where in the universe Earth was in a moment to make sure that we find ourselves on Earth's surface and not in the position that Earth was in when we are time traveling? How would you compensate yeah. for the... Oh, wait. And then, wait a minute now. This is where he gets, this is when you know that why cause was either thinking too much or maybe might have been smoking a little something. Then he goes, (laughs) then he goes like this. How would you also compensate for the expansion of the universe when calculating that trajectory? So he's he's getting it all in. He's he's all in. He's all in. So so let me let me let me toss to Brian here after I say something. So so in Back to the Future, they kind of, in the original, they kind of avoided that problem because when Marty went back in time, he went back in time in a precise whole number of years, okay? And so Earth would be back where it is when he goes back in time in its, in its orbit, you know, enough for the plot line. But if he went back a week, or even an hour, he's not in that parking lot anymore at all. So, so Brian, tell me about all this time travel mechanisms mm-hmm. when, in fact, the universe is changing. While, so you can't just show up in the same place and expect to, 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 yeah. you know, yeah. to, to be home again. Exactly right. And so when you time travel, you also need to space travel. It's really space-time travel, right? You have to pick the location in time and the location in space. And typically... In these films, they only talk about the time part of things. And to make it concrete, if you're using the wormhole version of time travel, the opening of the wormhole that you're going to exit from, it's at some position in space at some moment in time when you exit. And you better be certain that you have somehow maneuvered that opening to be, say, on planet Earth if when you exit, you want to still be on planet Earth. Otherwise, you could exit back in time, but near the Andromeda galaxy or just an empty space. So you do need to dial both in in order to get to where you are intending. Okay, interesting. I bet they don't know that, but we accept it anyway, right, as a... As sure. A, it's implicit. It's implicit, I guess, yep. uh, is what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Chuck, keep them coming. All right, let's go. I- I want to find this young person who. The way you, the way you, you, you described that previous question, it sounds like we should have a cosmic queries only if the people were on weed when they wrote the question. Oh man, that's. <laughs> let me tell you something. That's a great show. No. <laughs> Just legal weed, it, not illegal. It will weed. either right. be our best show or our worst show. Or the worst. <laughs> no, no. It'll it, while we're doing it, we'll think it's the best, right? And then afterwards, we'll know it's exactly. the worst. Exactly. That's and, and that how is kind of how that goes. All right, this is Savage 162, and Savage 162 says, in the frontier of science, is there any idea on how to try and detect the theorized tachyon particle? So... Mm. Remind us what a tachyon is, Brian. Yeah, so it's what you had mentioned earlier, Neil, this idea of a particle that can go faster than the speed of light. And when a particle can go hypothetical, I should say, a particle goes faster than the speed of light, There are observers watching that particle who will see it reach its target before it was emitted by the source. Reach its target before it was emitted by the source. So cause and effect become flipped for the observers who are witnessing the motion of a tachyon. Um, So the question is, how would you ever detect these things? Um, Yeah. And and, and it's, it's a bit, first of all, you know, to measure something going faster than the speed of light, that's actually not that hard. You start with a particle at one location and you fire it and you simply calculate or you measure, I should say, how long it took to get to the target. Did it beat a light beam or not? And that's it. So, so that's pretty straightforward. And indeed, you may recall, I don't know, some 10 years new, ago, that, there was a that claim. That neutrino thing in yeah. Italy, right? Yeah, there's in Italy, there was a claim that these neutrinos had gone from the source to the target and beaten a beam of light. They'd gotten there earlier than a beam of light would. Now, some of us knew that could be So, Brian, be you know the joke about that, the Euro joke, because Europeans like joking about each other. 
they said that would have been the first time Italy arrived anywhere early. <laughs> yeah, that's right, right. That's that's exactly right. So that that was that was the key tip off immediately that nothing gets. <laughs> but 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 scientifically, it would have been fascinating. It would have been fascinating. It would have been an example of something going faster than the speed of light. And so people looked really intently at the data and ultimately realized that there was some kind of loose wire or fiber optic cable or something. I can't remember the details. And when that was repaired, the particles did not go faster than the speed of light. But in principle- But let me add, Brian, because you might not go there in, for the benefit of Chuck, that in my field, and it surely happens in your field, somebody gets a cockamamie uh, ob observation, which would later be shown to be wrong. But if it's right- it's amazing, and you have these ambulance-chasing theorists coming up with an explanation of, of course, why that must be so. Did that happen in the case of the neutrinos? Oh, gosh. I, you know, I'm not completely sure. There must have been a few papers because nobody could have fully resisted it within the confines of the entire field. But 99% of the people who encountered that result that I spoke to were like, it can't be true. It just can't mm. be true. Right. And it wasn't true. Right. And it wasn't true, right. which is right. 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 Wow. All right. Cool. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Here we go. Uh, Time for a few more. Ryan. This is just Ryan. He's like Cher. Just Ryan. He says, uh, hello, doctors. If we developed a way to time travel backwards, could we travel to a time before the Big Bang? Or would we just break science altogether? <laughs> I love it. Brian. Yeah, well, the whole question of before the Big Bang is a, is a deep one, and it could simply be that there's no notion of before when it comes to the Big Bang, because the Big Bang could be the origin of time itself. And so the notion of before makes sense when you're talking about you know 1800s or 2000 BC or whatever, but when you get to the beginning of time itself, there's simply no conception of before. And so there may not even be a realm of reality that we could delineate as before the Big Bang. Right. Is this the same, I think, I've heard Hawking, this is Louis Hawking told me this. <laughs> that, that, uh, going before the Big Bang might be like asking what's north of the North Pole. North Pole. The whole yeah, that's a grid good system is, is defined there. And yeah. you can't, once you're as far north as you can go, you can't go farther north. Once you're as far back in time at the beginning, you can't go further back. Yeah, but I should say that that's only one idea. It's an interesting and provocative one, but there are other approaches which suggest that there is a realm before the Big Bang. Right. There may be many Big Bangs giving rise to many universes, and our bang may not have been in any sense the first. And so there may be so a realm pass, of reality. You'd have to pass out of our sort of space-time structure mm -hmm. and enter somebody else's space-time if you want to go before what happened with the Big Bang. That'd be yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's it's like, right. It's like you, a subway line. You, you you reach the end of one line. I mean, you can't go any further. That's it. But you can switch to another subway, and then you can go on from there. But you're in a different thing at that point, different train. You're a different yeah. thing. You don't right, have to right. pay another fare. <laughs> and, and Chuck, the laws of physics might be a little different so that your body would fall into a pile of goo. That's what you get for a jump of the turn style. <laughs> oh, oh. Brian, just close this out, if you could. What kind of time travel did, in all of your variants, did Charles Dickens invoke for Christmas past and future? It sort of feels like a wormhole version where they're traveling through a wormhole to the past, and maybe they're just hovering at the edge of the wormhole, not actually entering that reality. And, and therefore that, not interacting with it. Yeah, therefore they're sort of more of an observer status as opposed to a participant status. It kind of resonates with that, but, you know. But don't you need a different universe now? Because there were some different outcomes, right? So now there's, you got to th split. Th that's right. And, that, and, and so this would be an example where the wormhole stretches from one universe to another, as opposed to from one oh. universe to the same universe. Yeah, but, yeah. The, but, oh, yeah. but the different outcomes were not uh, directly attributable to the time travel. The different outcomes were because of his change of actions in the present, which affected the future. That's right. So the past That's never right. changed. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, I'm trying to remember the story well enough. That, that seems right. Yeah, I think the, yeah, yeah, the, Chuck the is more never current changed. on the that. The past never correct. changed. He changed. The past was, oh my gosh, is that what the future is going to be? No, it's not. Because right. I'm going to change myself in the present. Right. Got it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, right. 
Yeah, so you, the basic idea is imagine three or some number of tunnels emanating from this realm to these other parallel universes, sort of like slices of bread in a grand cosmic reality where each slice of bread is its own universe. You just have these tunnels connecting us to them, allowing you to witness what would happen in a world where things were different. Wow. Mm-hmm. Damn. That's amazing. All right, damn. All right. Mm-hmm. We got to land that plane right there. Brian, it's been a delight to have you back on Star Talk. Um, Always I, a pleasure. I, it's really you're just up the street. We should have you on. Even we should be like a regular Brian a feature, right? Mm. Uh, uh, what we, give Brian his own mm. a minute? Well, a minute no, for Brian? No, we'll, we'll, just, we'll, we'll call we'll, it. We'll no, market we'll call it. We'll call it uh, make it no, two minutes. No, make it two no, minutes. You make it whatever you want. It's called Brian time. <laughs> Brian time. <laughs> <laughs> Near the speed of light. Brian time. Near the speed of light. Oh yeah, you got it. There you go, guys. Uh, great to have you, Chuck. Always good to have you there. Um, Always a pleasure. Cosmic queries. I, I am Neil deGrasse Tyson. You're a personal astrophysicist. As always, I bid you to keep looking up. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.